Very good. So uh, good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for joining um, us today on today's LinkedIn Live. My name is James Osborne. I'm co-founder of the Recruitment Network. For those of you not familiar with the Recruitment Network, um, we are an advisory community working with recruitment businesses all over the world to help them maximize their performance, their productivity and their profitability. Um, every uh, every couple of weeks or every week or so, we'd like to do these LinkedIn lives where we bring an expert in to come and chat with us, chat with me, um, just for about 25 minutes or so about a particular subject that we think has an impact on your business, your profitability, your ability to grow, um, and so on and so forth. I think it's particularly pertinent at the moment because I would be fair to say there's change absolutely everywhere. Um, it's, it's probably the word I use more than anything else in just about every presentation we're delivering at the moment. It's probably the only con uh, constant right now, I would say whether that be the markets and how they're changing and evolving, economy, technology, even some of the societal changes and how they're affecting uh, the future world of work. So I, I think 2023 has been a fascinating year. I do think 2024 is going to be the year of, I've, I've sort of in bracket this sort of revolution or revolution. I think we're going to see some really interesting changes in recruitment full stop and how we work, how we navigate through that um, over the course of sort of the next 12 months or so. I think we started to see the beginning of that already i think that is hugely exciting really really exciting for savvy recruitment businesses and i think if they can figure out how to effectively navigate through these changes then they will definitely come out on top which i think is really exciting if you look at some of the things that have been happening over the last 12 months or so you know we've seen a, a perm recruitments had a bit of a beating in many industries i think it'd be reasonably fair to say in 2023 contract however has done fairly well and been fairly solid in comparison um so that's good we've also seen quite a big shift i think in this year in particular away from that traditional recruitment agency more towards that sort of talent consultancy type business and i think we're going to see a lot more of that moving forward in 2024 as well so that ability for us as recruiters to have that knowledge the insights to be able to advise our customers and our candidates um, is really really important especially when the market's softening a little bit you know you need to have a reason to talk to your customers so there's pretty much there's change everywhere um part of that change i think will be some of those uh, fairly significant legislative changes that um, lay ahead for us in 2024, uh, especially in instances as we race towards the 6th of April next year, uh, which we're obviously going to talk about in a second. So with that in mind, I want to have a quick lunch and learn today or a LinkedIn Live as we talk about um, refer to them as um, on how best, I suppose, to ready yourself um, around legislation. It's not a topic I normally get massively excited about. Don't take that the wrong way, Matt. Um, but it is an important subject that we obviously need to be across. So I've invited today Matthew Fryer, um, who's the managing director of Brookson Group, uh, one of the TRN Gold Partners, and we're huge fans of the guys at Brookson and, and, and what they do. Um, just a quick intro to Brookson. Um, for over 20 years now, they've helped their clients deal with all the complexities, uncertainties, and compliance challenges that uh, basically this changing world of work is, is creating, um, whether that's helping individuals who want to work more flexibly, assisting organizations who want to um, want more access to this type of flexible workforce, or supporting entrepreneurs looking to start or grow their businesses. Um, Matthew himself, or Matt himself, is a, is a chartered uh, tax advisor, an IR35 expert with a specialism in the freelance contractor sector, uh, advising recruitment businesses and end hirers on the effective management of their contractor payroll and employment status. So I think he's uh, he's perfectly fit for a purpose of what we need today. Um, in particular, why we wanted Matt on board today is because he takes more of a commercially focused approach to um, how do we deliver compliance solutions, which I think is super important when we're trying to think about um, how we navigate through these changes that we're seeing today. So uh, Matt, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. How are you? You well? 
I'm good. Yeah, thanks, James. I was just listening to the intro. I couldn't couldn't have put it better myself. So I'll, <laughs> I'll listen back to the recording on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you wrote it. No, I'm joking. You didn't know. That's fine. So, so, um, so Matt, Matt let, let's just get let's dive straight into it. So we've only got sort of 20 minutes or so. So, mm -hmm. um, let, just give me a bit of an overview, really, of what you're seeing at the moment. So, what's the current state of play at the moment across the contractor market? And we'll focus on contract to start with. And and how are Umbrella companies, PSC accountants responding to these changes within the market at the moment? Yes, yeah. So I guess, yeah, it's interesting to hear your view on the contract market. It, 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 it is pretty buoyant. So, so at Brooks and we're, we're seeing quite a lot of new business coming in. The, the, the big change over the last few years, though, has been driven by legislation, um, which was the IR35 change, which is now two and a half years ago, April uh, 2021. <laughs> Uh, time flies, doesn't it? Um, but we've seen a massive structural change in the market, effectively migration of lots of contractors from being able to manage their own business through their own PSC limited company into Umbrella. Um, and that's driven, uh, that's solely driven by the IR35 change, more risk for clients, more risk for, for re recruiters in the supply chain. And I think we've seen risk averse uh, response to that, which, which you would expect. Um, so, uh, We've seen a massive growth in the use of umbrella companies. There's lots of new entrants in the market. Um, it, it's getting quite a crowded market, um, and we're starting to see chinks in, in, in the market from a compliance, from an ethical perspective. Um, you know, it's been well publicised some of the issues that we're seeing in the market. Um, so it, it's starting to get challenging for umbrellas to compete. Um, there's a bit of a race to the bottom on margin. Uh, and a bit of a degradation in quality and, and, and service. So it, it's a bit of a tricky time, really. Um, wh whilst I say all that, that there's still a large number of contractors happily working through their own limited company, and, and they're probably quite comfortable with the way that they're getting paid and the tax that they're taking. I think there's a large number of contractors who feel aggrieved that they've been forced into a pay-to-earn model, and that's causing lots of noise in the market. Um, so I think all of that is resulting in government grabbing hold of it and saying, we, we need we need to sort this out, we need to fix it. Um, so there's a couple of big changes coming next year, I think, which I don't want to bore you with the technicalities. We can have a chat through those. But I think there's some commercial and strategic um, opportunities to get ahead of that um, as a recruitment business. Fantastic. And, and and just by I should have said this at the beginning, apologies. If anybody on the call, if you have any questions at all, please drop them in the chat or in the comments or send them through to us. And I'll make sure we share those um, with Matt as we go. Can we can we just touch on that very quickly around the sort of the future regulation for umbrella companies? And, you know, I don't want to get heavy. I'm, not, I'm certainly not going to pull out names and stuff and that sort of thing. But sure. you know, what, what, yeah. what do you see that looking like? Yeah, so there was a consultation open over the summer. It was an interesting consultation because HM Treasury, HMRC and um, Department for Business and Trade had put their name to that. So there's lots of interested parties in government who are saying umbrellas are of value. We're not going to ban them from supply chains, but it's not working. Um, there's, there's tax leakage, there's exploitation of workers, um, and there's some sort of unethical things going on. So we want to tighten the whole thing up. Um, so, so there's there's lots of proposals being made. We we should hear the date for the diary. Everyone is the 22nd of November, um, where we should hear some feedback. That's the autumn statement. So, or, or you call it the budget. I'd mm. expect there to be some commentary on umbrella regulation. Um, but but at the heart of the change is the government wanting to 
they, they coined the phrase a few years ago, upstreaming compliance. So effectively move compliance risk from the party at the bottom of the chain that's perhaps got less to, to lose further up the supply chain to a party that actually has got a lot to lose and will take things seriously. Um, so it's a way of, of HMRC outsourcing tax compliance to supply chains. Um, so hidden within the umbrella consultation is a proposal to transfer tax debt from any umbrella companies that have been non-compliant and go bust owning tax to transfer that to a recruitment business that has actively engaged with them and potentially benefited from the tax savings. Perhaps also more worryingly to transfer that debt to the ultimate end client. So I, I think we're going to see a real change in the risk profile of uh, umbrella companies should should that proposal go forward. Um, it's clear something's going to change. Timing may be April next year. It may be too early. Um, but definitely keep an eye out around 22nd of November for, for further updates on that one. Fantastic. And, and, and if that these changes come in, what, what are some of the implications, do you think, for, well, let's start with the recruitment agency world. I mean, how's that going to impact their yeah. businesses ultimately? Yeah, so I, I think as a starter for 10, and it's probably best practice to get ahead of this now, you, you really want to know the umbrella companies in your supply chain. So, so all of your contractors who are working inside IR35 and need to be paid you earn, they'll either be on your own payroll or that, that will be outsourced to an umbrella company. So do you know how many umbrella companies you're currently working with? Do, do you know them? Have you done some form of due diligence? Do you know the compliant? Um, so typically we see approved supplier list or preferred supplier list in place. Um, and, and lots of recruiters now, it, it's quite a mature market where we have PSLs and ASLs. Um, where I see it falling down is they're not always actively monitored and, and managed. So you start to see off PSL umbrellas sneaking in. Um, and that's where there's a risk. So I think if anything, it's, it's tidy up those supply chains, work in partnership with your umbrella companies to get ahead of any curve. If you can eliminate risk from your supply chain now, this, this change in regulation shouldn't have an issue. Um, if, however, you haven't got con control of it just yet, um, you, you will run the risk of potential debt transfer coming down the line. Um, right. I also think we'll probably see a consolidation of the umbrella marketplace, perhaps some new entrants that have gained market share through non-compliance practices will exit the market. So that's the positive side to the to, to these changes. It'll produce a level, level playing field for everyone. Um, so, you know, the, the, there's ups and downs to this one. Um, I, I don't think yet um, end clients are fully aware of the potential risk that might be coming their way. Um, so there might be an opportunity to get ahead of that curve and reassure them that you take compliance seriously. You're already controlling and monitoring your supply chains and, the, and, and we won't be exposing you to any risk should these changes come into play. Um, Matt, I, I often get asked, especially by sort of SME recruitment business leaders as well, you know, what, what are some of the practical steps they need to take in order to do that due diligence to to reduce the risk and mitigate that risk as much as possible. If you were to give a sort of recruitment business leader, you know, an SME business, uh, let's start with that as a uh, almost like a checklist of things to do or a sort of a roadmap of what they need to do, what would you suggest and what's that process look like? Yeah. So, yeah. So, I guess I'd start with thinking how many umbrellas do you want to work with? Um, so, typically, we see sort of between three and five. Um, so, are you willing to reduce that supply that, that that supply chain down? If you were to do that, there's an easy first step, which is look at um, industry accreditations. 
Um, so you've got FCSA, you've got professional passport, uh, APSCO approved umbrella companies. So you might want to start with a list of, of accredited umbrella companies if you like. Um, I also think having your own internal checklist, the standardized checklists that are available. Um, I think part of this consultation, there'll be a formal due diligence checklist that you do, but you're effectively going to be looking to make sure that umbrella companies use the right type of employment contract. You see some using an agency worker contract, which isn't quite right. Um, you would want to be ideally checking pay slips to make sure that they, the money flows down correctly. Um, HMRC and government, actually, if you, I think if you Google in the HMRC website, um, uh, labor supply chain management, there's a really nice succinct list of things that, that you can check. Um, and I'm happy to share the link with you, with you afterwards and perhaps we can send it out to attendees. That's a really good starting place. So I, I think you probably need to dedicate a little bit of internal resource and time to actively yeah. work through the process. Um, but I think once you've got a small number of umbrellas that you've done some, some checks on and you trust them, uh, it's about working in partnership with them and building that relationship with them going forward. Okay. Um, so not only onerous, and there's a tried and tested route out there. Um, okay, fantastic. And we'll certainly share that with everybody else as a bit of a sort of a checklist, I think, which will, which will be quite useful. Um, can, you, can you talk to, can we just, I just want to close this, this conversation off around the sort of the, um, the murkiness of some of the umbrella company world or the market, I suppose. And you know, we've, we've heard a lot of things around about like dirty dividends and all that type of stuff and things. Just, just, give, just give us a bit more information about maybe the things that we should be looking out for, things that we are, maybe some bad practices that you are seeing in the market that may feel okay, but actually in reality aren't, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. I think at one end of the scale, which, which is effectively tax fraud, you've got, we've still got offshore loan schemes being operated in the market. So it looks like a contract is employed by Umbrella UK Limited. Actually, they're then employed by a company in the Seychelles in the Philippines. So where you see payments going offshore, that's a big red flag. Uh, that means they're trying to avoid tax. Now it's quite hard to spot, uh, but if you ask, if you ask the umbrella employee for their employment contract, that should be the same entity that has engaged with you as a supplier. Um, so there's ways of finding finding those. Um, the the other big one in the market at the moment is mini umbrella companies, um, and this is where an umbrella company splits into lots of smaller companies, and because of the smaller, they get access to some tax reliefs. Now that that's fraud. HMRC are all over that. Again, it's difficult to spot. Um, but again, you know, where's that worker engaged uh, versus the contract you've got? So that's one end of the scale. I guess the, the other end of the scale is more around transparency, around the margin that the umbrella company is charging. Um, we see some um, skimming additional funds from the worker and making additional revenue. Um, and, and typically, the umbrellas that are doing that are enhancing their profits and can therefore offer high referral fees or kickbacks or in some instances bribes to consultants to gain access to their PSLs, ASLs. So I think you could probably spot it commercially. If the, if the amount that they're charging the worker versus the amount they're willing to give in terms of a rebate or a kickback doesn't leave much in way of profit margin, they're doing something untoward. Um, that will be a big red flag. Um, so, you know, I think that they'd be the practices to look for. Okay. Um, 
And if we so if we look forward now to what's going to happen in the market, because obviously I'm looking at this from a as much as from a compliance perspective, but also from a commercial perspective as well. Presumably, we're going to see an increase in PSEs moving forwards um, over the course of next year. Is that is that true? Is that what you're seeing and what you're expecting? I th I, th I think it will. So should Umbrella become more risky? I think it results in everyone thinking, well, what's the value of Umbrella in my supply chain? That the current value is because it provides a payment mechanism for workers impacted by IO35. Now, there's a secondary legislative change that I'm pretty, I think is pretty nailed on to happen in April 24, which is a change to the IO35 rules, which, which effectively, in instances where somebody's being misclassified as outside IO35, if HMRC come along now, then the tax bill to the client and potentially the agency is about 50% of that contract rate. So a big number. Mm. HMRC going forward will actually allow any tax that the contractor has already paid to be offset against that liability. So that the risk of engaging with a PSC in April will more than halve from a financial perspective. So there's a real interesting change in risk profile where you've got a reduction in the risk associated with PSCs coupled at a time where we may be seeing an increased financial risk of working with non-compliant umbrellas, I think there's a real opportunity to start thinking, actually, is it all umbrella now or are we going to see a resurgence in PSC? I think people, people may have forgotten that actually if you've got a reasonable proportion of your contract base working through a PSC, typically you get less noise. Typically you might be able to pay them monthly rather than weekly, so there's a cash flow benefit. Um, so I think there's an opportunity now to reassess from a strategic perspective. If you've got clients that have implemented blanket bans on PSEs driven by the IR35 risk profile, can you get ahead of the curve and, and sort of take these two legislative changes to them and say, actually, are you still banning PSEs? Are you still saying everyone's inside? Or do you now want to undertake a proper IR35 assessment and we can help you with that? So I think there's a real opportunity now with the changes in, in the risk profile, PSC and umbrella, for us to try and educate and, 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 and sort of get the market thinking what is the right answer here, um, rather than just discount a PSC as being high risk. Um, so I think we may well start to see during next year a rebalance between umbrella and PSC in the market, um, which, which is an interesting one. I, I think it gives you an opportunity to to be a thought leader, to go mm. to your client name with that, to be a strategic partner. And it doesn't have to be a technical conversation. I've tried not to, to not make this technical at all. It's just explaining a change in risk profile. Um, yeah. And do you think, and this is a slightly left field question to that, do you, do you think we've got the skills within the recruitment sector to be able to have these types of conversations? Or do you think this is where we need to partner with a Brookson or whoever to, to come in and support us with that? Because I, because I see this as a fantastic part of the evolution of our offering towards that more talent consultancy S type structure. Um, is that something that we should be doing as recruiters or, or actually are we increasing our risk profile but trying to try and advise yeah, people on I, their risk it's a fine, Yeah, it's a fine line, isn't it? I, I think at a real high level, just talking around the change in the risk profile in the market is stage one conversation. What, mm. what you don't want to be doing is positioning yourself as a tax advisor or, or, or giving legal advice from an IO35 perspective. Um, and that, that's where we come in. We, we, we are... We are working with our agency partners now. A number of them are already taking us to their client. 
and then they're happy to do that you know and they're positioning it to the client as we work in partnership with with these guys who are subject matter experts we feel now is the right time for us to introduce them to you and you know we can facilitate and we can have that conversation sometimes you get technical sometimes you get introduced to a head of risk head of legal head of compliance and they want to get into the technicalities of it now i don't think i don't think you you want to get there because it could be quite easy to have a go at it but mm. <laughs> if they're perceiving you as a legal advisor and you get that legal advice wrong clearly you might get in a little bit of trouble but if you come as a strategic partner here's the commercial aspect to it we can bring in a legal specialist um to, to help fill in those gaps i, I see that's how, it, how it's working um and we're more than happy to do that with, with, with your members uh, working yeah. partnership with them to figure out how best the the other interesting one would be how to educate your current business um, so we've held a few sessions at a c-suite level with with uh, boards of directors and management teams just to take them through this strategic conversation and, and add a bit of flavor around the technicalities and it just equips them to say, what's our decision as a business? How, what are we going to do going forward with the, with this change? How are we going to manage it? And how are we going to interact with our clients on it? Um, so I think, you know, lot, lots of conversations are happening now, which is why um, I wanted to have this conversation with you and your members to almost not miss the boat. Can, can you be first to market with some of these things? Um, yeah. And, and and outside of the stuff that's happening, or what else might be happening, I suppose, on the, on the um, in the autumn statement and then into April next year, are there other changes that we're that are afoot? Other things that we should be looking out for? Maybe not necessarily on the contract side, but you know, what what else is going to hit our industry in twenty twenty four that we should be thinking about now? A because a it, again the risk profile, but also because it's, it creates opportunities. I think I think whenever there's a change, it creates opportunities. And just the more we can understand and be ahead of it, what's that look like? What, what what's your sense around that? Yeah, I, I think so. Th this isn't driven by legislation, but two other things we've seen in the market the last twelve months is um, funding. So cost of cash now is more than it's ever been, or or, or in recent times, um, and we're, we're seeing a trend where some recruitment supply chains are relying on umbrella company working capital to fund payment of workers. Now, nothing necessarily wrong with that, um, but there've been a couple of umbrellas and a couple of agencies gone bust in recent months and workers don't get paid. So I think it's, it's dangerous to be using umbrella working capital if that umbrella company hasn't insured the debt or can't satisfy that the balance sheet is strong enough. Um, so I think with, with inflation, I know it's steadying a little bit, but as cost of cash increases, there's a risk, I think, that some supply chains might fall over. It just takes mm. the end client not to pay and, and, and we're done. So I think that's something to look at. Um, and again, that should make up one, part, of the, part of the due presumably, is to look at what the insurance is to cover that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, the, the other one is an increasing trend for UK recruiters to look to expand outside the UK. Um, we, we've we, we've seen more of that over the last two years than, than we ever had. US seems to be a popular place, um, but even into into Europe, um, and that that is interesting because if you're UK contract recruiter and you want to place people outside, do, do you have a place of establishment in the country? Do you want one? Do you want to incur the cost? Do you understand the compliance and risk? Um, so again, it's thinking about how you would do that. Do you want to work in partnership with someone? How do you manage compliance? It's a whole new ball game. 
Um, but there's clearly ex opportunity for expansion and growth in other jurisdictions because we're seeing people do it. Um, so that, you know, there's there's a whole new there's a whole new compliance profile, there's a whole new risk profile. And I think it could be quite easy to jump at the chance to expand globally where your margins might be higher, mm -hmm. um, but get yourself in a little bit of a pickle from a compliance perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we, and we've, we've seen a lot of that this year. So a lot of, again, you talk about the US, well, they've been jumping on the US bandwagon, which is quite rightly so. Last couple of years has been fantastic. Um, a lot of people have come unstuck this year because of that, and they haven't crossed all the T's, dotted all the I's, probably used the right sorts of partners. Also, we have a number of partners that we recommend um, around yeah. international stuff in particular uh, and around the US in particular, you know, the guys, PGC, for example, who, who I'm sure you're aware yeah. of. So, you know, I think it, it's, it's, it, we've, we've got to get this piece absolutely right. We've got to chase the cash, but chase the opportunity, but, but do it in the right way. Yeah, absolutely. And with, and with anything like this, I think, I think once we understand how we can manage the risk ourselves, that gives us a USB to go and talk to our clients. Because it, you know, it, it, there's perceived risk in supply chain. Let's get ahead of it. Let's say we, you know, we know X, Y, Z is a concern or a risk to the market. We've done this to mitigate our risk, which protects you, the client. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel there's more and more value. It's back to the point you made earlier, James. What, what are you doing? Are you putting bums on seats, or are you working in strategic partnership as a consultant with your client? Um, and I think understanding legislative change, not positioning yourself as a lawyer, but giving them <laughs> thought leadership in terms of what's happening and why, and we can give you exposure to the people that can help you, just stand you ahead of the competition. Um, so I think there's, there's real opportunity there. So the definition of a real 360 recruiter has gone from brand, business development, sourcing to now lawyer as well, which is brilliant. Yeah. But where does it stop? The ultimate 360. We wonder why it's hard to find good recruiters in this marketplace. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm just conscious of time, Matt. We're kind of sort of rounding up fairly soon. So last couple of questions, I suppose, for you. If, if you're looking at some of the, I suppose, the the conversations that you're having the most at the moment across Brooks and with, with agency leaders, what, what are those conversations? What are the sort of the three or four things that everyone's talking about everyone's focusing on and that you're getting everyone to be fixated on i suppose yeah so i think i think point one is people are now figuring out that there are umbrella companies in the market that are, aren't in it for the right reasons not in for a long period of time looking to gain market share so having conversations around how how we can protect ourselves from that risk but also the flip side of that is someone's come along with this proposition it looks really good is it viable and quite often it's not and so I think I think there's starting to be a bit of nervousness and potential distrust in that umbrella market. Um, so that, that would be point one. Um, the, the other one is we are still we still have agencies coming to us saying I'm banging my head against a brick wall with my client because they won't entertain undertaking proper IR35 reviews. They're blanket banning. It makes it really hard for me to place the right candidate because they don't want to work pay as you earn. So that mm -hmm. that's still wow. rumbling on. Um, I think there's an opportunity to to uh, approach that differently now with the change in the risk profile. Yeah. Um, I, I think the other one, the big one is this funding. We, we are asked daily, weekly if we can fund. And we really struggle because it's actually really difficult to get credit protection insurance for a recruitment business because the insurers see it as risky. So I think that we need to find a way to fix that, which maybe we work in partnership to agree at a deal level with a client that, you know, this is how we're going to do it rather than try and come in at the back end. Um, they're the big three, to be honest. Um, as, as I said, I think that the market is relatively buoyant. Um, construction has really boomed. 
um, the, the last few months, which is interesting given what's happened with some of those big construction businesses. Yeah, absolutely. But, but most sectors seem to be ticking along okay. Um, I, I think given the final point, I, I talk about compliance in this market as whack-a-mole. So as an issue pops up somewhere and government whacks it and it creates another issue on the side. And that, that's my big watch out at the moment. If, if government get the umbrella regulation wrong, we could see a whole new model spring up. And we're starting to see new models spring up that purport to be something different. Mm. Um, so I, I think my message is just be on, the, on, be on the lookout for new models springing up from new providers. They might sound good, but to what extent are they bringing risk into you and potentially your client? Um, I think that, that's the watch out at the moment. But, but as ever, you know, Brooks and are here to help with that. You know, we're happy, happy to assess things for you, happy to work with you to understand your supply chain. I would say happy to put a PSL of umbrella companies for you, together for you, but probably overstepping the mark given that we are. <laughs> I wonder who's uh, at but, the top of that one. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> no fantastic listen um really fascinating as always Matt. i really appreciate your time with this and again you know this is such i think i see this is such a huge opportunity i really really do in all sorts of different types of ways and again if we stay ahead of this now pre the the, you know, the autumn statement whatever happens to that but you know I, I think this is a really great chance i think for for agencies and to get on top of this and, and maximize on the opportunity i think um we, we've had a request um around that link to the hmrc uh, supply chain management thing that you discussed before so I don't know if you've got that or what we can certainly do. I think that was to Paul. We can certainly share that with everybody afterwards. We'll put it up onto uh, onto the recording and that type of stuff. Unless you've got a link to it directly, Matt, um, that you can stick on the on the comments. I'm just trying to mul- yeah, I'm just trying to multitask, but I'm failing. Um, I, so I'll I'll send it to you guys, and perhaps you can circulate to attendees afterwards. Yeah, perfect. And anyone who's listening, I'll, I'll pop it up on my LinkedIn profile in, in the next hour or two so you can see it from there, to directly from that. So if you click on my LinkedIn profile, you'll get a link on there. Um, Matt, so Matt, as always, really, really great to see you. Thank you so much, Steve. Brookson, um, we hi- we're massive, massive fans of Brookson, as many of you know. We've worked with them for a number of years and hopefully we'll continue to do so. So um, please make sure you reach out to the guys at Brookson, to Matt. Um, um, if you've got any questions whatsoever, obviously those of you who are involved with TRM, we've got a whole lot of guides and stuff around this as well to help you with that. So again, p- feel free to reach out to us. Um, other than that, have a fantastic rest of the day. Thanks everyone for joining us. Matt, thank you once again. And we look forward to seeing you at the next LinkedIn Live. Thanks. Thanks, James. <laughs>